If you have a Bible, I invite you to open to Acts chapter 13. In case you have forgotten, we are in the book of Acts. It's been eight weeks. Uh, we're about halfway through the book. We began, I think, last April, maybe March. Uh, since it's been a while since we've been in the book of Acts, let me just kind of catch us back up to speed. Uh, Acts is the account of the resurrected and ascended Jesus and all that he is continuing to do through his church. Uh, the gospel of Luke is all about Jesus, what he began to do, and Acts is about what Jesus continues to do through his church and through the power of his spirit. If you remember, Christianity began essentially with 12 ordinary men, uh, men who despite being Jewish nobodies, turned the world upside down. Uh, they came from an oppressed nation. Uh, they were not educated. They didn't go to Harvard. They didn't even go to the, the Jerusalem Community College. Uh, these were just really salt of the earth folk. And the Lord changed them. And the power of the resurrection came into their life and they changed the world. Christianity grew from this small group of misfits to overtaking the Roman Empire within just a few centuries. Uh, and you can read all about this in many historical documents. Uh, you can read about uh, those events as they happen, but the how those events happened can only be found in the book of Acts. It's the account of God's spirit at work growing his church. And that's why we've been studying Acts. And so we begin again by reading Acts chapter 13. Now they were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping and worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there, they sailed to Cyprus. This is the word of the Lord. If you would pray with me. Father, the words that we just read are exciting words. They're joyful words. If we were to be honest, they're a little painful words, but ultimately they're your words. And so we pray that through your spirit, your words would hit their mark in this place this morning. We pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, your words would remain and they would change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So Acts 13 is the turning point in the book of Acts. Uh, it's the hinge chapter, if you will. From this point on, the apostle Paul is going to dominate the, the rest of the chapters. I would also say it's not a least bit, an, an exaggeration to say that the only reason we are here in this place, 2,000 years later, gathered as Christians, is because of the words we just read. It's the reason we are here. 
through that time of, of fasting and prayer, the Lord set aside Barnabas and Saul and sent them on this great missionary work that went throughout Asia Minor and through Europe, establishing churches there and Christianity spread across the globe, resulting in us 2,000 years later being here in this room as professing, professing Christians. And can I just say that as we're studying this, this passage of scripture, it is not an accident that we're looking at these four verses at this time. Um, it's not an accident for one, I set the preaching schedule like six months ago, so I knew we would be here. But it's not an accident that we are looking at this at this time in our church's history. Because I think we're at a similar Antioch moment. Uh, the church at Antioch was a young church, younger than Redeemer. We're just over 10 years old. But they were younger than us and they were flourishing and if you remember, it was through a vision. The Lord gave, gave Peter a vision, telling him to go to Antioch, talk to Cornelius. He went there and he, he shared the gospel. And then Antioch had this Pentecost moment. The Holy Spirit descended and lives were changed. People confessing the Lordship of Jesus. Peter, he just couldn't believe what was happening there. And he went back to Jerusalem to report to the apostles everything that was going on. And, and they rejoiced at hearing what the Spirit was doing in Antioch. And then they said, we need, we need to shepherd that and pastor that. And so they sent one of their best, Barnabas. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch to be the pastor of the church there. The fastest growing church in the world at the time. And things flourished under Barnabas's leadership and the church kept exploding in growth. And so much so that Barnabas needed help. And so in his mind, uh, he, he thought it just came to him, Paul, Saul, he lives in Tarsus. And Saul had been doing, you know, whatever in Tarsus for the last nine to 10 years. We have no idea what Paul was doing. Likely he was just working as a tent maker, but Barnabas went and got him and brought him into full-time ministry. And for the last three to four years, they had been the pastors and the teachers of this growing movement happening in Antioch. And now they were at this point in the life of their church where they begin asking, what's next? What's next? I mean, where, where do we go from here, now that all these people are coming to know the Lord, now that all these people are getting involved in the church, what's next for us? Now, they knew the general will of God. They knew that whatever the next was, it involved making disciples because Jesus, as he ascended, his very last commandment to them was, go and make disciples of all men. Go, go into the nations and make disciples. So, so they knew that. That they were involved, they were supposed to be involved in the great task of making disciples, but Jesus really didn't give them any details as to what that was supposed to look like. He didn't really give any specifics. Jesus wasn't ascending, and as he was ascending, saying, you know, go and make disciples. Uh, and, and, and do that by making a really big church, or do that by going the small group model, not the home, you know, the Sunday school model. You know, uh, he didn't leave all these programs and these strategies. He just said, Make disciples. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and empower you to do this. So the disciples, they were given this general command. But they had no idea of the specifics. 
What actually did that mean on a day-to-day basis? How were they to fulfill this? And of course, this is true of most of our life. Most of our life, we, have, we, we know the general will of God, but it's the specifics that we're uncertain of. So we know the purpose of marriage, but you're not going to find a chapter and verse that tells you who to marry. Uh, you're not going to find, you know, looking through and find some verse that says, go to church, sit on the fifth row. The woman to your right is your wife. It's not there. Some of you are counting the rows and some of you are like the relief. You're looking at the guy next to you. You're like, it doesn't say that. <laughs> but those verses don't exist. Uh, the Bible doesn't give us clear direction as to where we're supposed to work. It tells us generally that we're to do all work to his glory, but it doesn't give us our vocation. And so for the vast majority of uh, the decisions you make, you're not going to find any scripture, any specific verse telling you exactly what to do. Should you marry? And if so, who should you marry? What job should you take? Where should you live? Who should you invite to your dinner party? Should you homeschool? Should you adopt or foster? If you get cancer, should you take chemo or should you go some alternative route? If you have aging parents who are getting dementia, do you take care of them yourself or do you put them in a home? I mean, from the small decisions to the really big weighty decisions, Scripture does not give you that clear, detailed route you're supposed to take. It just gives you the the general will of God and not the specifics. And the Bible could have put all those things in there. I mean, the Bible, you could have had God putting in there, you know, you're to only own two sets of shoes, two pairs of shoes, or you're supposed to give this exact amount of money to the church, this exact amount of money to the poor, this exact amount of money to a charity of your choice could have laid that out there, but God chose not to do that. And I think he chose not to do that for a number of reasons. I mean, for one, your Bible's really long. I mean, your Bible's, it's already, mine's 1,300 pages here. He would have had to add like another 10,000 pages if he were to go through the specifics of all of your life. And let's be honest, none of us would have read it. But more than that, some of us would have tried to read that And we would have been checking boxes. And our relationship with God would have been reduced down to, I'm doing this check, I'm doing this check, I'm doing this check. And that's not what a relationship looks like. God tells us generally what we're supposed to do through his word. And then he's like, seek me on the details. Let's talk this through. And so this ever keeps us relating with him, trying to figure out, trying to find the things that please the Lord. And that's where the church at Antioch is. They're at this place where they need some direction. They've, they've been growing rapidly. Uh, in chapter 11, three times, every time the church of Antioch is mentioned, it's mentioned as growing, rapidly growing. And they're not just growing in numbers, they're growing in leadership. You've got Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian, and Saul. This is a diverse leadership. 
This is, they represent four different ethnic groups from three different continents. And, and Antioch was a, a pretty diverse city, but, but even for such a diverse city, what's happening here in the life of the church, it's remarkable. This is the church that everyone would want to be a part of. I mean, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to be a part of a church like this? A growing church, a dynamic, diverse church, great preaching. And so where do they go from here? Where is the Lord leading them? How can they keep making disciples? Should they send out missionaries? Should they plant churches? Should they build a bigger sanctuary? Should they do all of those above? Should they just circle the wagons and really focus on on their own membership and really just try to raise up solid disciples there? This was a real church with real people working through these issues. And so what they decide to do in the absence of a clear command of the Lord is they decide to fast and to worship. I've heard it expressed this way. When you don't know what to do, you know exactly what to do as Christians. When you don't know what to do, you know exactly what to do as Christians. You seek the Lord, you fast, you worship, you adore him. And that's what these people do here. The leadership gathers together and they have a meeting. Now, I'm just going to say right now, if, if you're one of those type A people, all right, you would have hated this meeting, all right? You would have, it would have driven you absolutely insane. If you're the kind of person who likes to just jump in there and just like, we're going we're gonna to get things done. I brought my list to go through. You would have been really frustrated. Uh, you would have shown up and be like, so what's happening at the elder meeting tonight? Well, we're just going to take time to, to really just adore Jesus. That's great. Now, but you know, don't we, need, don't we have to like really work on our space issues or whether we build or not? That'd probably be a good idea. But we're just going to adore Jesus. Don't we really need to think through our home group ministry? I mean, I heard the first Baptist Tarsus down there has got a great ministry. We could go look at it and maybe bounce some ideas off one another. Yeah, that'd probably be a good idea. But we're really just going to adore Jesus. Don't we need to look at the budget? and just see what we can afford for next year or not. Yeah, we probably should do that. But we're just going to take time to just adore Jesus. Isn't Jesus good? I mean, we were dead in our sins and Jesus made us alive in him. Let's just, let's just take time to adore him. That, that would have just driven as type A people crazy doing this, just taking time to waste before the Lord and worship and fast before him. Uh, next Sunday is a pretty important Sunday um, for me. It's probably not important to you guys so much. Uh, it is Super Bowl Sunday, but that's, that's not why it's important. Uh, Next week, uh, for me, I'm going to celebrate. It's my 20th year of full-time ministry. Uh, next Sunday will be. Um, and so it, 
as I've been thinking through that and processing that, and some of you are like, really, 20 years? I know, my, even my mom's surprised I made it this far. Um, she's just like, really? Uh, but but it's, it's made me re- very uh, introspective and reflective as to what the Lord wants for my next 20 years, um, what he might want for this church. Um, 20 years ago, I mean, ministry, it, it was pretty simple. It began with after the Lord was moving my wife and I away from the mission field and saying, we're going to plant you here. I want you to do college ministry. I was like, I'm not sure what that looks like. So I just went to the, uh, to the visitor cards we had gathered that day at church, found four college students, and I just cold called them and said, it's Super Bowl Sunday. How about you come over to our house for dinner tonight? Uh, one of them is here, Stephanie Kling, uh, still, still here. And the Lord used that and just started a ministry. And I've been so blessed over the last 20 years to be a part of uh, this, doing the Lord's work full time. But as I, I think through the next 20 years and what I want that to look like for me and to look like for the church, I do have some concerns. The, the concern is not that me or, or the church We'll all of a sudden just start committing all these heresies. You know, that's, that's not it. You know, that we'll, we'll throw out, you know, biblical sexual ethics or throw out the authority of God's word or um, start baptizing babies. I just had to throw that out there. Um, that, I probably shouldn't have taken that one back. All right. <laughs> we allow for membership those who have been baptized as infants. But my fear is not, it really is not us committing some uh, theological heresy. Uh, My my concern is not, it doesn't have anything to do with the structures of the church, how large we are as a church or any of those things. My fear is that we could become a people who cease to adore Jesus, that I could become a person who ceases to adore him. That could be theologically sound. We have every class. I mean, all these classes to offer, all these Bible studies to offer. I mean, we theologically, I mean, we're rocks, but we have these like shriveled up hearts. Or as uh, John would say in the book of Revelation, we have forsaken our first love. Uh, That's my concern. And so my mission for the next 20 years, unless y'all kick me out before then, but my mission for the next 20 years is really to make sure that we're a people who adore Jesus, that I'm a pastor who adores Jesus, that we take time to treasure him and his gospel. Never get over the fact, people, that we were dead in our sins and Jesus made us alive in him. And we treasure that and we savor that. We lose that, we lose everything. And so it's good for us to take these times of just adoration. The adoration of Christ here was done through a time of worship and fasting. The word here used for worship is not the common word that is used for worship. It's an extremely rare word in the Bible, uh, in, in the New Testament. It is the only time this word worship is used in the book of Acts. And in Acts, you find people worshiping all over the place, but this is the only time this unique word is used here. Uh, it's secular meaning, meaning in Greek, is simply to do public service without pay. 
In the Old Testament, uh, this word means ministering. And it would describe what the priests did in the temple, where they worshiped, they prayed, but they also did hard work and it demanded sacrifice. That's how they worshiped. So when we read that these leaders in Antioch were gathering together and they were worshiping, we should not just picture them coming together, you know, singing songs. It was much more than that. This was a group coming together to sing, to pray, to serve, and to say, Lord, what's next? What would you like me to sacrifice? All for your glory. And they gathered together for that. And they accompanied this time of worshiping with fasting. Now, I did a little Google research on fasting, and I was amazed. It's all the rage now. That and juicing, all right? Juicing or fasting. You know, there's all these articles on it. And, and so I just clicked on a bunch of these articles, read about fasting, and every one of them talks about the health benefits of fasting, how it's good for your gut, you know? It's good for your body to to fast, but you would be hard pressed to find any modern articles uh, that talk about the spiritual benefits of fasting. There's a great spiritual benefit to fasting. It's when we come to the Lord and we say, we hunger for you more than we hunger for food. We hunger for the bread of life and not just for bread. And this is what the church was doing. So picture this. They're showing their hunger and they're coming and they're saying, we worship you. We want to serve you. What's next? What can we sacrifice in service and in worship to you? And then the Lord speaks. The Holy Spirit, he comes upon them and he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work in which I've called them. Luke doesn't tell how the Holy Spirit spoke. The Bible's usually pretty vague on that as well. We don't know if it was through a prophet getting up and speaking or through uh, God speaking just quietly to somebody's heart and then the, the church affirming that. We don't really know. What we do know is they all knew that this was a word from the Lord, that they were to set apart Barnabas and Saul. And I don't know what they were hoping to hear in this moment as they gathered together, but I can tell you this. I bet they were hoping it wasn't this. I can, I can assure you they were hoping that that was not what the Holy Spirit was telling them to do, to send out from their midst their two best people, the two most indispensable people they had. These were their best teachers, their best leaders, the two people who had been faithfully serving and preaching and pastoring this great revival that God was doing there, these were the two pillars of the church. Certainly God wouldn't be asking them to send away those two. I mean, why, why would they ever want to do that? I mean, who's going to take over the preaching if they go? Who's going to take over the teaching? Who's going to lead the small group ministry if they go? Who's going to provide all the wisdom and the counsel that they give, not just to the members, but in the midst of these elder meetings? Who's going to do that? Things are going to fall apart, aren't they, if we send out our best? Now, we have perfect hindsight as we're looking into this. You look back to that and you're like, 
It was a no-brainer. I mean, God used that to change the world. He used that one event to send them out. Churches planted all over Asia Minor and Europe and spread all across the globe. No-brainer. Paul, on those missionary journeys, he would write a lot of the New Testament. I mean, come on, no-brainer. But they didn't have the benefit of hindsight there. Just obedience. And this is going to be a painful thing for them to do. And I'm sure they had some questions. I'm sure they had quite a number of fears. And I know this because I feel this. I feel this. You need to hear it from me that there is a great temptation for me and I'm sure for all of us to just try to hold on to this thing that the Lord is doing at Redeemer. Just hold on. I mean, what he's doing here is beautiful. I look around this church right now and I see some amazing people that the Lord has brought here and they are doing extraordinary things. And in no way do I want any of you to leave. Like there's just, there's no way. Are you crazy? Why would I want you to leave? Uh, not only would that be, uh, you know, a terrible pastoral decision because we'd leave all of these holes, all these vacancies and all these ministries, but personally, it would just hurt. It would hurt my heart. Uh, two years ago, we, we commissioned out one of our pastors, um, one of our lay elders also, um, some leaders, uh, a team of people. Uh, we sent them out because we thought the Lord was directing us to do that, to go to Homewood and to plant Grace Fellowship Church. Uh, doing that hurt our wallet and it hurt our hearts. <laughs> it hurt both. It hurt our wallet. It hurt our hearts. Uh, sending out people always begins with a heart exam. Always. You have to take inventory of what's going on in your heart. So sending out people, it's, it's a hard exam, and sending out people is not going to help your bottom line ever. It's going to hurt as you lose valuable people who are your valuable resources. And, and I want to be real honest with you. When we sent out that team, it played on every one of my fears. I, I don't... I'm not a fearful person at all. Um, I mean, if I'm going hiking out, you know, out west, I hope I run into a grizzly, all right? You know, I'm just like, <laughs> I, I don't have those kind of fears. I was fearful when we were doing this. I, I don't know if you remember, those of you who were here two years ago when we were, we were doing this, and we brought in Joel Busby, uh, who is a, a kinder, better, more theologically sound preacher than I am. And, and we bring him in, and, uh, and then we, we tell him, we want you to recruit. We want you to, to get a team of people to move into a safer, better part of town. And, and if you remember when we did that, I left for two months. I took a sabbatical. I took a sabbatical for a couple of reasons um, at that time, right when we brought in Joel Busby. For starters, I didn't want Joel to feel my shadow. I didn't want him to feel me like breathing over his neck as he was preaching and trying to connect with all of these people. But the honest truth was it just hurt. It just hurt. It's a real 
sacrifice. I didn't want him taking any of my people. But I knew for the glory of Jesus, he needed to. So I go away for two months so he could preach. The, the verse that keeps coming to my mind as we're going through this is John 12. If you remember the story, it's, it's Mary. She comes to Jesus. She kneels down at his feet and she breaks open the perfume, this costly, costly perfume, and she wastes it there. And John is so good that he tells us, and the, the fragrance filled the house. It was her joy to do it, but it was a sacrifice. It's a joyful sacrifice. And her love expressed its way this, not in showing how great she was, but how great her Savior was. When we send people out instead of just circling the wagons, what we're saying is we don't think we as a church, Redeemer Community Church is great. We think our Lord and Savior is great. And we send people out. And we keep sending and we keep sending people out for the glory of his name. Does it hurt? Yes, it hurts. But this is something the Lord has called us to do. I've heard that multiplication beats addition every time. And when you send people out and you begin planting and planting other churches, the church multiplies rather than just adding numbers. This is a joyful cost that we have. This is what adoration of Jesus leads to. Joyful sacrifice, making much of Jesus. That perfume cost Mary a year's salary, wasted at his feet, poured out with real joy. So it's our delight and it's our joy to sacrifice to the one that we love. And hear me, when the church here at Antioch made that sacrifice, the fragrance of their praise filled the entire earth. And what the church at Antioch is going to discover is that they cannot outgive God. And God has repeatedly shown that. Every time we've taken steps and we've made sacrifices and, we, and we've given, he has shown us that we cannot outgive him. As a result of their worship, their fasting, their adoration, their sending out their very best, they would become the largest church in the world for the next thousand years. The church at Antioch would be the largest church in the world for a thousand years as they kept sending and sending Next week, I'm calling our church to a time of fasting and worship. We're going to do that 24 hours leading up to this service. I'd ask at the service, whatever service you come to, if possible, you spend the 24 hours leading into it fasting. So you come to here uh, to worship hungry. We're also setting up across the street to 4th and Spring, beginning uh, um, midnight on Saturday, a time of 24-hour prayer and fasting. We'll have some of our musicians there leading it during this entire time. Friday, sorry, Friday night at 12, going to Saturday night at 12. Thanks, Edmund. Uh, you can sign up for time slots or you can just come to that. Um, but hear me, I believe the Holy Spirit still speaks. He still speaks. And I believe that when we come and we adore Jesus, we just take time to savor him. 
worship him with these open hands, he lets us know how we can sacrificially give. He leads us. My prayer is that next Sunday, God will call some of us to the mission field. He'll call some of us to leave. My hope is that he calls some of us to plant other churches. My hope is that he calls some of us to do some new endeavor and that he keeps doing it and he keeps doing it and he keeps doing it all while we keep adoring our Lord and our Savior. If you would pray with me. Lord Jesus, we adore you. May we never get over the gospel. By the gospel, I don't just mean the message. I mean you, Jesus. May we never get over what you have done for us. You've resurrected us and you've given us life. And we joyfully give you our life in return to do with as you will. Lord, we ask you would speak to us at our church in this specific time, that you would call certain people out. And Lord, if we're not sent out, I pray we would be the ones who send out. Our ultimate goal and aim is that your glory will cover the entire earth, just like the waters cover the sea. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.